Just a quick heads up that this podcast contains material that may be confronting, especially for survivors of trauma. Aboriginal and Torres Strait people are advised that the following story may contain the names and voices of people are passed away. This is jail. Everyone swears. If you don't like swearing, turn down the volume. Attention sector four, all prisoners to muster. It is time to muster. All prisoners to muster. Welcome to Bird's Eye View, the first podcast made by women in the Darwin Correctional Centre. You'll be meeting all sorts of people and a bunch of birds. But first, we've got to get to you in sector four. six years ago, got picked up by the police, uh, Nycliffe. It was about 4.30 in the morning. It was raining. I got put in the back of a paddy wagon and I remember sitting there cross-legged in the back thinking, oh, fuck. From the start, I remember being handcuffed and near on falling out the back of the van. It takes about mm, 20 minutes. From the city to the prison. They took me to the watch house. Oh, I got to the front gate and then they um, took me out. And When you get remanded in custody from the courthouse, they pat you down, take all your stuff off you, so you're stripped of all your belongings, get locked in a cell and then you wait. They locked me in the cell for hours. Then I was taken out of the other the door at the other end of the cell. Then I went into the holding cells in the reception. I was asking my family how it was this jail was like and they were saying like it was scary and everything, you know, like they could see spirit and all that because apparently they said this jail is like they were this is sacred site and where they build this prison. They took me into the watch house and they took all my jewellery off and my shoes and my socks, I think, too. And then they gave me a blanket and they put me in the main holding cell. Walked a few steps into a room, like a dressing room, where they had uh, clothing on a table. I was told to strip, which I felt quite embarrassed about because I haven't taken my clothes off in front of ladies before. Yeah, you got to go have a shower in front of them and... But then I had to put it in my mind that they were like doctors and they've seen bodies, bums, boobs, everything before anyway. Not that I had much boob because I was very underweight when I came in through stress and basically not eating. I was just young and I was getting scared because they put me in the cell and locked me in there. So I got undressed, I had a shower, I was told to use lice scrub. Yeah, put on the scaby cream, <laughs> put it in the knit stuff. I remember saying to the guards, I don't have 
scabies or lice. And they turned around to me and said, yeah, but you've spent two days in the watch house and you don't know what you've caught in there. So it's probably best to be used. So I sort of put my hands out and asked for an extra couple of pumps. Which stank really bad. And then I was told to put on a T-shirt and a pair of shorts. Sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. And a pair of knickers that weren't mine, which I thought was a bit strange that I couldn't wear my own knickers. And I remember my feet were bloody freezing. And a prison bra, which was so tight it nearly cut me in half. And I was getting angry and agitated because it takes takes to process just, you know, one prisoner up to three or four hours. Then I was led out of that room to stand against a wall and asked a heap of questions. Whether you're suicidal or you're going to try and escape. Do you feel like you're going to kill yourself? Which, honestly, you probably wouldn't say yes to, even if you were thinking that. So it's sort of a pointless question, I think. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to try and escape. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> I already tried. <laughs> He's caught me. And then after that, um, you go back into the waiting room until a doctor sees you. The doctor does a quick check over sort of thing, nothing really dramatic. Um, I think it's just in case anybody comes in with any sort of severe medical issues that need to be addressed straight away. They took a urine test. I had to look into an eye machine and have my eyes scanned. Please center your eyes in the mirror. And I walked up to the office and they gave me a box of things which had things like a plate and a cup. And I said to the, one of the ladies that came, I said, how long have we got to wait in here for? A towel, a couple of more sets of clothes, um, some sheets. I'm looking at the time, time passes by. It's getting around about 8.30. I think we come in these cells about 4.30 now, it's 8.30. Oh, then I started going mad then. Uh, this was the second time I'd been here, so it was all good. Like compared to the... Four days I spent in Catherine Watch House and then the 10 hours up at the cell, I was quite happy to get a real bed, you know, sleeping on a concrete block for four nights was pretty shit. I was scared to the point of near on wetting myself. I've never been to prison before. I, I've lived on the streets for nearly a whole year, but it was nothing like that. <laughs> I put my box into my room and the guards let me back out. And they didn't seem like people. They seemed like they were machines. I thought we might as well just man up and get it over and done with. Uh, I know it was dark by the time I was brought down to the Sector 4. I realise it's Sector 4 now. And I noticed there was a lot of people staring at me. So I went down and joined my new friends. to Darwin Correctional Centre. This is your tour guide. I would like to welcome you to the office. And as you can tell, the window has just been opened and we have a lovely, friendly customer service officer. <laughs> when we come to the office, we can ask for forms, we can ask for hygiene. You can ask for knickers and shorts. You ask for cups, <laughs> toothpaste. It's better off not to ask for anything, but... <laughs> 
If we need to know any information, so like who is in SEPCON, who's in Darren, Royal Darwin Hospital, how many prisoners we have currently in Sector 4, we come here, we peep through the window onto the whiteboard, which has all our stats. A lot of the time we'll come up here and make uh, funny excuses to talk to the officers just to look at the whiteboard. Okay, my name is Rocket and for my part of the tour, I'm taking you to the Septicon. That's where you go when you're being naughty. And it's four cells and they're away from everyone else. And you don't get out in the yard. There's a cement yard for when you're being naughty. But you get one hour exercise out of that yard a day. And there's a camera in the cell. So if you want to go to the toilet without being seen, you have to put the mattress up against the camera so they can't see. Oh, yeah. And you also, before you go into the Septicon, you have to get strip search, cough, squat and cough. <coughs> <laughs> okay, we're here in sector four. We've got seven phones between 80-odd women and we have free calls to, like, ombudsmen, our lawyers. If we ring a private number, so, like, family, it says... This telephone call is being made from the Darwin Correctional Centre. The call is being recorded and may be monitored. So you get about a 15-minute phone call and it costs about six bucks to ring mobile and about 40 cents to ring a home phone. We're here now at the basketball court and we've got no shade here. And yeah, too hard to play and I'm getting hot too. As you can probably hear, the officers are unlocking the muster area. Yes, this area is for when we muster up for our dinner and lunch. Also, it's got um, a little bit of gym equipment in here. It's got the bike, the treadmill and it's got empty vending machines in here which are broken, and also it's got the kiosk where we get to scan our eyes and check our daily basis to see if we've got visits or if we've got paid, and we do our shopping. Yeah. So you've got the, the walking loop that goes around the outside of the communal sort of central area. It's just a, a concrete path that runs around as close to the outside as possible with all the um, access paths running from the centre through it out to the individual accommodation buildings. We've got 4C1, 4C2, then we go into the 4D, and then we've got the H block, which is SEPCON, which we've been to already. And they're under strict lock and key. We've got the offices, which is the next set of buildings. Then we've got industries, where the women go to work. They do the headsets and they do the buys and the shopping up there. I've got this library room. There's a few just sort of odd desks and chairs kicking around and a couple of blue couches which tend to fill up really quickly because they're the nicest place to sit. It's cleaned about once a week, but we did have an issue here for a little while where people were cutting their toenails in here, but um, that seems to be cleaned up now. It's got a whole row of bookshelves on one side, which for some reason is full of at least 50% of love and liaison books, which is all about throbbing members in their pants and all the other sort of crap that goes on. It's not really the stuff you want to read in prison because, you know, there's a bit of a lacking of the male diversity in here. <laughs> oh, you slamming of the window. And this concludes your tour of Sector 4. <laughs> <laughs> In jail, one of the worst things to be known as is a dog. You just don't want to be known as a dog. Somebody who who 
tells the screws what's gone down um, or dob you in for sorts of things. A dog, not a very nice person. Not like Ollie. My dog, I love him. He's my little peer support worker. I've got him a little jumper, a little jacket, and it says security, and then I've got him another little harnessy thing and it says working dog so I can take him on the bus and stuff. Ollie's definitely a working dog. I mean, with my anxiety and stuff on the outside, I don't like to go out without him because when I start getting really anxious and shaky and things start coming in on top of me, I just grab Ollie and just look at him and he looks at me. He gives me 100% of his attention. It's like he's already been trained, like as a PTSD dog. Um, so, yeah, I, I just grab his eyes and he just he'll just look at me for as long as I need him to look at me and take the attention away from everything else that's going on. He's a really good dog. My real name's Renee. They used to call me Rocket Propelled Renee and then everyone just started calling me Rocket. I've got ADHD. Like, they give me dexamphetamines to slow me down. Attention, attention. I love surfing. And I used to be a really good rollerblader. Please center your eyes in the mirror. This is my seventh time in this jail and Queensland and then Brisbane jail. I've done two sentences as well. Brisbane's my favourite. You get a better choice of women there. <laughs> I've always been a pretty angry person, like not a pretty angry, a fucking angry person. Um, and I had no release of my, I had no control over my anger for a long time. I haven't really got a story apart from drugs. I mean, drugs has been my story since I've been five years old, so it makes sense to tell that story, I guess. Like, it's my identity. Like, even now, sitting there, I've got a wet... My, like, my mouth is dry and, you know, I can taste it in the back of my throat because I'm talking about it. I can feel it in my veins. I'm like, mmm, fuck, I'd do anything to get a shot right now, basically. It's really, really powerful. You don't need sex when you're on it because... You've got it. Um, it becomes your best friend. It becomes your lover. It becomes your your brother, your sister, whatever. Um, your parents. Um, it becomes everything you're missing in your life. Like without the drugs, I would have no stories. I would have nothing. Like you know, the, the drugs make me who I am today. Take the drugs away from me, and you take like everything away from me. All my stories, all my confidence, all my yeah, everything. If I was responsible for somebody having their first hit of heroin or morphine or something, I would hate myself because, I mean, the person who gave me mine, um, they've got no conscience, obviously, but, you know, it is something that you can never go back from. Like, once you've had your first shot and you love it, there's no going back. When I was about five or six, I came home from school one day and grew back. People were sitting in the lounge room having cones and someone said to me, here, come here, you want one of these? You're a big kid now. And handed me a bong made out of a barbecue sauce bottle. Had my first cone. Made me all crazy, all spaced out and stuff. I was smashed out of my head. 
my whole life I've always had to watch out who's coming from behind, looking over my shoulder to see who's on my back, what's coming for me. Um, you know, whether it be child protection or whatever. I remember this one time and I'm touching a scar on my head instantly as soon as I think about this day. I heard him coming then. My heart sank on you, I was dead. I fucking wanted the ground to swallow me. I wanted to die in that moment. I think I was 13. Fucking picked me up, smashed me into my bed. It was just punching me and punching me and punching me. And I was like in the fetal position, curled up. And um, then I've got this box. I've got a box thing and... um, it's a metal box and I called it my keepsafe box. I had nothing in there, like there was nothing in there. He's picked it up and it's got a lock on it. He's like, where's the key? I'm like, I don't know. I don't have it. And I remember seeing his arm cock back and his face, like his facial expression. He was so angry and he's just pegged it at me and it's hit my head and blood's just started spurting everywhere. And um, then... I started getting in trouble because I was bleeding and I wanted attention. Us kids had to go to a foster home every weekend. So, and me and my brother, we hated these foster homes because some of the shit that happened in these foster homes, fuck man, like, well, I guess you could imagine how bad a foster home could be. My brother copped the most of it. He never spoke about it before he died. Um, I, I feel so guilty about that but because I watched it and I never spoke to him about it and my brother always tried to protect him protect me from everything he was such a good big brother he was my world My mother wasn't in my life at this time. Like my dad, every time I was in trouble, you're exactly like your mother. And I used to think, oh yeah, that's a good thing. But my dad thought it was the most horrible thing in the world, like to be exactly like my mother. All I wanted to be was like my mother. All I wanted to be was with my mother. Yeah, so we went up to this place where he heard that she was living, Bribey Island. We were at the back of the fish and chip shop. It was packed, school holidays. I said to my dad, dad, is that my mum? No, like no photos of my mum or anything. And... Just no idea, but I've seen this lady and I'm like, that's my mum. I've, like, climbed through everyone's legs, put my hands, like, my arms folded on the counter and my face down on top of my arms. I said, hello, mum. And she looked at me and she mustn't have heard me properly. She goes, hello, little girl. What's your name? And I'm like, Renee. And she's like, Renee. And she screamed at the top of her voice, and she's just flipped the counter, grabbed me up in her arms, and it was the happiest moment of my life. I just, I just remember eating chips, sitting on mum's lap, not wanting to let go. They worked it all out that us kids were coming up to live with mum for a little while. This telephone call is being made from the Darwin Correctional Centre. The call is being recorded and may be monitored. If you do not wish to receive this call, hang up your phone now. 
Call has been accepted. Hello, Mum. Oh. <laughs> All right, well, then I'll let you go, Mum. All right, love you. Yeah, that's cool. All right. All right, Mum. Good to hear you. Love you. Bye. I never really cried till I was 34, 37 now, but I'd never really cried. I'd cried when I read my brother's eulogy. I cried the day I got the biggest flogging in the world. But before that, I'd always been taught, if you cry, you're weak, you're showing your weakness. But then, yeah, as I grew older, I realised I do need to cry. I've got so much to cry about. And now I will cry at the drop of a hat. You tell me your kitten died and I'll start fucking crying, man. <laughs> I may glorify it the way I'm describing being on drugs, but that's in that moment and it's not worth the heartache and the loss that you suffer in the long run. Um, lost a lot of friends from drug overdoses. When I'm on the drugs, like when I'm on ice, I think I've got everything together and everything, but I'm really this just really angry person who everyone's just scared, scared to approach because they just don't know if I'm going to flip it or if I'm going to laugh at them. When I'm off the drugs in here, I'm just really happy all the time, happy-go-lucky. And then um, when I'm on morphine or heroin out there, if I'm not nodding off, then I'm, like, cranky because I'm trying to get a shot. The drugs make me angry and you sort of got to look at yourself and realise you've got a problem when none of your friends will come near you. Drugs took my freedom. Drugs took my childhood. Drugs have taken my brother. Drugs took my chance at having a normal life, I think. Without drugs, who knows where or what I could have been. I think drugs took my innocence. That was my innocent voice. <laughs> See, I've still got innocence. I can't say that. No, <laughs> I lost my innocence so young, um, never got to be a kid. So I think, yeah, now I, yeah, I'm very childlike sometimes. And it's a really annoying habit. You know, I don't realise I'm doing it when I'm doing it until I hear it back on the tape, which I don't normally hear myself taped. <laughs> it's like, you're what? You're recording me, dog. <laughs> I'm not you, mob. <laughs> Until recently, I was just going to go out and get back on the drugs. Um, I've seen no point in changing, but um, I guess that's a bit of a cop-out. Um, I make my own choices along the way. I want to work with people who are drug addicts, who are getting smashed up. I want to work with people from the background I come from. I want to work on myself so I can help some people because if I can stop one person going through what I went through. It'll probably make my life worthwhile. Pieces have been picked up because of you.
never really had my story about what made me me told and it's important that people know you know what I went through where I came from I mean I'm just shoved in here and I'm a number I become a number two six three seven six seven <laughs> and um you know I just don't I I would just yeah I feel it's important to let people know that I'm not just a junkie or a drug user I'm not I'm not just a number I'm more than a number and for no fault of my own well a lot of fault of my own but I mean I I didn't ask to be born into the life that I was born into and um yeah I think that's played a massive part in the person of who I am today I'm getting out in eight weeks. No one can stop my date. The first thing I'm doing, I'm going to find my dog, Ollie. I have no idea where I'm going to sleep my first night out of jail. Um, Absolutely no idea, and nor do I care, as long as I have my dog. Rocket has been out of prison since mid-2019. She did rehab in Alice Springs and then moved back to Darwin, where she now lives with her dog Ollie. She's working and doing lots of advocacy work for women in prison. Last time we spoke, she was super excited because she still was clean. And it's the longest she's ever been drug-free. Oh, my God. Here's the first chat she had with our producer on the outside. Hey, yo. Hey, welcome out. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> How's it going on the outside? Oh, it's been really, really great. Like, I've gone from the biggest depression in the world to, like, the biggest high in the world, the biggest natural high. It's so good. I feel so good to be out and so much freedom. Yeah, I've seen Ollie. You should have seen the reunion with me and Ollie. Oh, it was so good. He remembered who I was straight away. And all the little um, signals I taught him with whistles and stuff, he, le- he already remembered. <laughs> well, hey, it's, yeah. it's so good to hear from you. It's so good to be back. <laughs> and you know what? It, it's really strange because I've, you know, I know you from the inside and now it's a whole new context. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, and thanks for everything you've done for me, like from the time I met you, which was a long time ago. <laughs> but you've you really, you've helped me grow into, you know, I don't know, like a bit of a writer or whatever storyteller. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been good. Um, my yeah. che- my cheeks are hurting right now because I've I've got a pretty big grin on my face. So, <laughs> all right, mate. <laughs> Oh, yeah. All right. See ya. Everyone's heard about the stereotypes about us. Yeah, we're shit. Damaged. Junkie. Stupid. Bad mother. Scum. Disrespectful. A burden. Uneducated. Dysfunctional. Animals. Tainted. 
Low lives. Just a number. But what about the real us? What about our stories? Not his stories, her stories. We called it Bird's Eye View. Because we wanted to shake things up and give people a new perspective on who we are. Plus, there's a lot of birds in here. Not just jailbirds, real birds. Come on, we'll introduce you to some of the wildlife. Recently we've had a little tribe of blue-winged kookaburras. They've come and they go. Same as us. Like a bird with clipped wings, we too have lost our freedom. Of course, some people stay a bit longer than others. We can fly away, but sometimes we choose not to. And come back again and again. Eventually, we all get to fly away free. I had a family member that once had a rainbow lorikeet. Its wings were clipped. One day, we left the cage open by accident and it got out. The dog got to it and it couldn't fly away. How uncanny when a lot of us in here are put in here by dogs. No one's perfect in this world and just because we've made a mistake does not define, define us. A lot of people have a, a preconceived idea of what a prisoner actually is and they don't realise that there is a whole lot of stuff behind the reason why you're actually in here. It's not just as straightforward as you've did something wrong. There's normally a lot of reasons why you've actually done that thing. There's more to us than meets the eye. We made this podcast for our kids and our grandkids. I want my people to hear my story. And it's helping us fill in time and getting to learn about us, I guess. We made this podcast so we know who we really are. Because we want to make change. Attention, attention. If you are outside your pod, remain at the table only. Those girls in F-Pod, return to the table Everyone else, shut the front doors of your accommodation. Without the birds around here in Sector 4, it would be very plain. No animals to look at. They're basically our pets in here. Because we feed them, we give them water. They know when to come for breakfast, lunch and dinner. We were all in muster and one of the birds got one of the girls' cereal containers off the table and flew up on the fence and had it and was trying to open it. And I was telling all these girls, look, it's got that whole bowl of cereal. And they're going, you're tripping out, <laughs> you know, and it's dropping it on the ground and then going down and still trying to open it. And they're like, no, nah, you're tripping out. I'm like, oh, whatever then. And they're like, holy shit, it does have it. <laughs> One morning, we was getting ready to go out for work and we could hear these plovers. You know how they make that noise? I don't know. I don't know how to fucking make the noise. And then next thing you know, that male bird was flying behind the female one and was making their little mating call. And then it, the male bird just come up behind it and was just like flapping its wings and rooting it at the same time and it was just like, wow. I was like freaking out because it was the first time I've ever seen plubber porn. <laughs> when I see eagle, remind me back at home. You fly and look for fish. It's making me miss home. We've got three types of birds that come here. We've got a kookaburra. We've got white corallas. And then we've got um, plovers. And those corallas look like cockatoos without their little yellow things on the top of their head. And they've got big grey eyes and they look very hungover. 
<laughs> and they always they always call out, <laughs> like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, <laughs> feed me. You can actually feed some of those white cockies out of your hand. They walk right up to you. Some of them walk into your pod. I don't think you'll ever be able to tame them because we haven't had them from babies. But we've got some of them to a comfortability in knowing that we're not going to harm them. We're there to feed them. And they know feeding time. On Saturday nights we get steak and if you can't eat all your steak, you give it to the birds. And one night I threw my steak to the kookaburra and it was smashing it around the steak in its beak as if it was still alive. There's totally different kookaburras, not like the ones down south. These ones got blue wings and the blues, oh, it's like a metallic blue and they sound like this. <laughs> it's not just the birds that we love, we're also into words too. Mostly poetry. You want to hear one? Life in Sector 4. Salty plum lips. Eating wheat beaks. Out in the sticks. Watching Jesus flicks. All of us chicks in our cliques. Surrounded by dicks. Writing stuff down is one of the ways I cope. It helps because I'm letting out my feelings and getting it all out so I can look back on it later and find out that's made me grow or that's made me stronger. Please center your eyes in the mirror. There's about 1,160 people in Darwin Correctional Centre and only 80 of us are women. That's when Sector 4 is chock-a-block. It sucks being a woman in a man's prison. We're not classed as equals. We're left down the back of a prison. And when they want to take us anywhere, they walk us right through the whole lot of the men like we're on parade. It's like walking through a meat factory. There's so much things that we can't do without someone accompanying us in a man's prison. We're always delayed to go see our family because we have to wait for an escort to take us over over to visits. We don't get a same opportunity. I've been in a women's prison in Victoria and it's different because uh, we're treated as one whole. We're given opportunities down there. There's a lot more access to programs. There's a lot more different types of work platforms. We have our own TAFE in the prison. So we're actually able to study something that may help us on the outside to get jobs. It's completely different. They help you know, fill your time in. We can cook for ourselves. It's not cooked for us. You know, like it's completely different. It's a bit more humanised, I think. It's hard being a woman in a male's prison because I can't touch my boyfriend. He's on the other side of the fence. (laughs) On the next episode of Bird's Eye View, we're talking survival and how you wouldn't want to be colourblind in prison. Orange means you're on remand, waiting to be sentenced. Blue is medium security. Green is low security and yellow is open security. We'll share our beauty hacks for looking good on the inside and you'll meet Julie, who survived a world tour with a famous rock band. I got a visitor, my cousin, who came up to me and said, look, cuz, we're looking for someone to do background vocals and dancing. 
have you got a passport? And I said, yes, I do have a passport. And she got me into becoming the background vocals and dancer for Youth Indie Band. And we travelled the world together. Thanks for listening to Bird's Eye View, the first podcast made in Darwin Correctional Centre by us. The women from Sector 4. Sylvia. Nolene. Kay. Amy. Kellyanne. Bianca. Trisha. Kiara. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Brooklyn. Tace. Rocket. Dan. Jessica. Naomi. Sophie. Julie. Tegan. Joan. Yasmin. Sophie. Jessie. Kirsty Louise. Becky Boo. And Ashley. Bird's Eye View is presented by Story Projects. This episode was produced by Leah Sanderson and Cinnamon Nippard. Johanna Bauer is the executive producer. With mixing by Hamish Robertson of Tall Tale Audio. Our awesome theme music is by Katie Baker and is called Worth It. In this episode, you also heard music by Sorkia, Shirley Morris, Emily Uramara, Serena Peck, Sieta, Katie Baker, and Eleanor Dixon. Music coordination by Ben Andrews. Jeez Louise, it takes a lot of people to make a podcast. <laughs> Bird's Eye View was funded by another territory government and the Australia Council for the Arts. With support from the Prison Songs Impact Campaign and Audio Craft. Everything you've heard has been signed off by the Northern Territory Correctional Services. To hear more stories from women inside, search for Bird's Eye View wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes.